politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property. This is not a game. It is real. It is all on the line. And we need outcomes. We need change. We need enduring results. And that's what this show is all about here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here. Uh, first week of the month, and it's going to be an abridged month. we got about two weeks left here together, so we're going to try to make the most of it today on this Monday, December 4th. You know, we can't afford fake wins or wins in our own imagination, wins of owning someone on a social media account or having some sort of clever talking point on your friend's or colleague's political commentary show. Okay, we we actually need to change things. Or if they're unchangeable, which in many spheres of policy they are, we have to find some sort of part of the country where we could live out our lives in a way where we could enjoy some modicum of freedom, prosperity, and safety. Okay, it's, that, that, That's kind of a 30-second summation of our fight, and what are we going to do about it? And every day I go back and forth between the budget numbers, the immigration numbers, the COVID death numbers that died suddenly, the new studies on everything. There's more stuff on that. This New Zealand business going on um, where there's this whistleblower thrown in jail for releasing data that seems to show a one in a thousand dying, which actually I think it's more like one in 800 from what we saw from the Canadian study. Um, You have them destroying our products, destroying our quality of life. So... I struggle with kind of balancing each each issue, but today we're going to go back more to the immigration things because as we watch the country descend, the country in the Western world descend into an Islamic republic, I just want to give over a sense of how America itself is no longer America by a mile. It is done with. And why we do need to... <clears throat> find some sort of part of America that hasn't been this fundamentally transformed social transformation without representation. So I'm going to draw on on some of my previous research from last decade, but really built upon a new report from our friends at Center for Immigration Studies, our buddy Steve Camerata. I've I've had him on before. He's a great statistician and a demographer. And he noted that for the first time ever, put out a piece there, a long piece. Other people have been talking about this. It came out last week that we now have 15% of the country is foreign-born. And I actually think it's more than that because I don't think the census has fully accounted for the, the illegals. Um, and most of this is from legal immigration, which has been absurd. And it is now the highest percentage of any point in American history. And the trajectory is even more, and there's no sign that this wave after wave has crested and that it's abating at all. So America is not America. Again, I'm not going to blame everything on the immigration. It's mixed together with from the native population. We've lost our sense of patriotism, values, um, both love for the country, love for God, but a lot of it does mix in. So when you see these polling uh, reports on you know people under 30 or under 25 or whatever, under 20, 
think absurd things. Just remember, when you the younger you get, you're talking about a massive percentage of people that are just very different than what America used to be. A lot of it is driven by mass third world immigration, including um, you know, countries that that literally don't share our values and particularly the Islamic countries. And as we ponder the social transformation, I can't help but think that this is a fulfillment of another biblical prophecy that literally speaks to the moment we live in with everything going on with the jihad against Israel and most of the Western countries cheering on the jihad, hamstringing Israel from dealing with it, and what scripture has to say about that. So I just want to preface uh, our immigration report today with this. Ovidiah 110. Okay, it's a short, you know, prophecy. It's only only one chapter there. So Ovidiah was a convert from the Edomites, which stems from Esau, who was the brother but became the arch nemesis of Jacob and the Jews. And he was a convert, became a Jew, and became a prophet. And it's amazing. We've talked about a couple of places in Scripture where the old Hebrew word, the original language of the Bible, uses the word Hamas. And it always means violence, pillaging, you know, just utter destruction. So it's 110, Ovidiah 110, if you want to look it up. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob. And the word violence is Hamas. Okay, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, um, both the prevailing uh, Jewish uh, English translations and also King James translates as violence in that context, the word Hamas. So because of the Hamas against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. Now, from the context of it, it's talking about not though it doesn't say who's attacking Israel. You know, it's it's likely the children of Ishmael. The people that this is directed towards is not those people. They're animals. They do what they do. God will you know punish them. That's obvious. It's talking about the bystanders, the thumbsuckers that sit on the sidelines and say, "Well, you know, I understand your attack, but you can't do that." The innocent civilians. It's literally speaking to that. On that day, you stood from afar. On the day strangers captured his possessions, meaning literally what happened, and foreigners came into his cities, and on Jerusalem they cast lots. You, too, are like one of them. You in the Western world, decadent people that side with the Islamic savages. Continues. You should not have looked on the day of your brother, on the day of his being delivered. And you should not have rejoiced upon the children of Judah on the day of their destruction. You should not have spoken proudly on the day of distress. You should not have come into the gate of my people on the day of their misfortune. That's literally Tony Blinken and the Biden administration traveling over there on their day of misfortune to, to piss on them. You too should not have looked at their affliction on the day of their misfortune, and you should not have stretched out your hand upon their possessions on the day of their misfortune. And then it continues in one fifteen: for the day of the Lord over all the nations is close, as you have done shall be done to you, 
your recompense shall be returned upon your head. And it goes on to talk about how then Israel will conquer Samaria, um, which needs to be re- fully reconquered again, and then the land of the Philistines, which is Gaza, and then the ingathering of the diaspora. It's it's I mean it's right there, but the what I was thinking about for today is that ironically the punishment that you know it's like hey you sit and laugh at the Jews as they you know get pummeled by jihad. Hey, hey, you're going to get you some jihad in your own lands as well. Ironically, we've invited it in. Now, I'm going to talk about broadly today the cultural transformation. It's not necessarily just Islamic immigration, but that's certainly a big part of it. But, you know, you have this everywhere. We obviously had over the weekend, you had this terrorist attack in Paris. One killed, two wounded by some animal that they let into the country recently who stabbed and said Allah Akbar while stabbing people on the street. Um, you have, obviously, the U.S. were being a- attacked, uh, or U.K.-owned ship was trying to pass through the Babal Mandeb Strait, and it was attacked by suicide drones from the Houthi rebels in, in Yemen, and then, you know, uh, they, they were firing rockets and drones at the U.S.'s Kearney and other uh, assets. We have destroyers in the region, and of course the Biden administration is doing nothing. Our troops are already attacked 74 times in Iraq and Syria. Now there they should, we should just pull them out. But here, I mean, you, you gotta defend the shipping lanes, but that's that. You have um, there's a pullout more than one in four Londoners 26% view Hamas as freedom fighters. Okay? 26%. So, again, we're a step behind there because there is this case. You might have seen some videos about this. There's this chef who has some sort of a Israeli-style food restaurant in Philly. And it's the restaurant's called Goldie. Anti-Israel protesters gathered in front of the restaurant shouting genocide surrounding his restaurant Again, it's beginning to look a lot like 1933 again, all over again. So this is what we have here in the West. So Israel's problem is the West's problem. But I want to zoom out more broadly and discuss what sort of problem this is. The Islamic immigration is a prominent, perhaps the most dangerous part of it. But broadly, our immigration since 1965, and especially as it continued unabated through the 90s and the last three decades, has been a replacement of a population. And that's a big reason, not the only reason, but a big reason why America is no longer America. But first, our sponsor today, you know, I read more and more stories. There's this lieutenant general who bragged about getting a shot. He's dropped dead. A friend of mine who works in ICE says he had a, you know, a colleague that was 50 years old, just dropped dead. People are dying suddenly at the same rate, and whether you got the shot or not, life expectancy is going backwards. Um, we have to understand, you know, as we become more attuned to death, you need to prepare, If especially if you have a wife and kids, and you're the breadwinner, you got to protect them with life insurance. Um, a lot of people think, oh, I got it from work, but uh, usually on average, it's about one-tenth of what you need. Um, for a family like mine, 
with four kids and a wife, you need, you need about a million dollars, I mean, especially now to live on. That's why I recommend going to policygenius.com slash Daniel. It's not an insurance company. They're not trying to sell you anything. It's a service where they just aggregate for you apples to apples comparisons, spit back to you um, different quotes. And with Policy Genius, you, you could find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million in coverage. Used to be like that for for you know most get that for a half a million. That's that's amazing for a million, and they also op- offer some options that are same day approval, and you don't need unnecessary medical exams. Um, the and and also the the good part is that it's not just some random website. They have licensed experts that you can call and discuss some of the options if you have questions with you know with this, and 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 look you know. It's something we all want to avoid. Do I really need to shell out more money? But it's it's such a small sum for what it is. It's so important. Um, your loved ones deserve a financial safety net. So again, head over to policygenius.com slash Daniel and see how much you could save today at policygenius.com slash Daniel. And I, I wish I can get to some of the stuff that died suddenly. Just because I haven't been talking about it as much doesn't mean the trend has waned over time. It's not. And uh, but, you know, now we're just at the stage where we have enough intellectual ammo. We just need the political initiatives to deal with. And we'll be talking about this as we close out the year, certainly with the state legislative sessions. But I want to get to the main topic today. So, you know, 1965 is, is a lot of you well know the Heart Seller Act that opened up the doors to mass migration. Really. um really was the downfall of the country. It's one of the worst pieces of legislation in, in American history. And what I admire about the left is, the left is kind of like China. They think in increments of 50 years. The right just thinks of their next tweet and instant gratification. Oh, I just want to own the libs. The, the left looks at strategic outcomes. They're very patient. If you look at the fiscal bills they passed over the years, the entitlements, the immigration bills, it, it, it the culturally, it, it they all sowed bombs, and you can look back over the years like, oh my gosh, that was brilliant, devious and evil, but brilliant from their part. And Heart Seller was one of them. And what's interesting is the left will often tell you what they're going to do. So Ted Kennedy famously went to the floor of the Senate, and he said, "This is what the bill is not going to do," which you knew meant it will do it. But the interesting thing is at least he had to tell the people, he had to at least, he felt the need to lie. Like, you know, third world migration is a bad thing, okay? So he had to tell them it's not going to happen because no one would have ever voted for it had they known, had they, had, they, had they told the people that there would be a day where we would reach almost 50 million immigrants in the country. And by the way, that doesn't include the velocity of like, okay, children of recent American born children of recent arrivals, because that's a whole nother pie. It's much bigger than that. I don't have a number, but basically, because it's not in this report, this report shows we're up to 15% higher than at any level during the Great Wave in the 1890s, early 1900s. That was the previous peak. We have surpassed it, not just in numbers, that was a long time ago, but even in percentage of the total population. So that's the big news. 
Um, it's 15%. Now, I do remember Camerata a few years ago put out a report based on that census data that if you included American-born children, it was 20%, 1 in 5. So it could be now it's like 22%. I actually have an email into it, Stephen, asking him about this if he has updated numbers on that. But you know, the, the point is, again, there's nothing wrong with being an immigrant, being a son of an immigrant. But it's a measure of how much over what period of time. And then as we're going to talk about, the type. And from where? That all matters. Details matter. But anyway, Ted Kennedy promised, quote, no immigrant visa will be issued to a person who is likely to become a public charge. What a joke. That's all we get now. Um, He pledged that the bill would not upset the ethnic mix of our society. It's funny. Nowadays, Republicans don't even want to talk about that. But even Ted Kennedy found the need to say, oh, no, no, yeah, like that's not a good thing. We're not going to do that. Of course, he was lying. It will not permit the entry of subversive persons or criminals. It's exactly what it was designed to do. Um, at the time, LBJ's attorney general, Katzenbach, who was also pushing it, he predicted that the 65 bill would induce a net increase of only about 60,000 immigrants per year. Only about 60,000 immigrants per year. Now, as you well know, what it wound up doing is going to 300,000 per year with the subsequent 1990 bill increasing immigration by another 300,000. And then by the time we reach the 2000s, we're talking about about a million a year. So it's about, well, no, I mean, it's about 600,000 new intake, but then about a million green cards are given out per year between new arrivals and ones that were through the pipeline. And then obviously, you know, another million from all these uh, worker and student visas as well. Well, no, I mean, student visas alone are about 1.2 million, I think, F visas we have every year, and then maybe close to another million in all sorts of um, longer-term worker visas. So again, and this is every single year. Um, then we had 1990. A lot of people forget that the 1990 bill doubled down. So 65 was bad enough. 1990 doubled down. But remember, 1990 was sold to us the exact opposite. So already in the late 80s, there was a recognition like, whoa, 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 this is getting too much. That we're getting like at the levels of the great wave. And now we need to follow that up by a slowdown like we did then. But instead... Somehow it got hijacked by devious forces, and it wound up doing the opposite. But Chuck Schumer, so so Kennedy led the 65 one. Schumer was the leader. He, Schumer was in the House back then. He was the leader of the 1990 bill. He said that chain migration hurts our economy, hurts every American, and that his bill would correct the problem. He also, ironically, he proclaimed that immigration should be as diverse as it once was because countries like Ireland, Italy, Poland, and Nigeria cannot get people into the country, even though there are many people of their ancestry there. So in other words, he, he was pointing out, like, wait a minute, you know, we've been letting in, you know, back then especially it was mainly Latin American, um, you know, then, then, you know, some Far East Asia as well. And it just allowed those parts of the world to just monopolize Mexico, you know, particularly Mexico, just monopolize our visa system mexico and india it's like wait a minute you know you know why why can't we bring in people from you know places where we brought in from a hundred years prior 
So Chuck Schumer promised that. And then again, the bill did the exact opposite. And here we are today. So I just want to tell you, nobody ever voted for this. The greatest decision a civil society will make is the future orientation of what composes that citizenry and determines the outcome of elections and everything else. And nobody ever voted for that in a democratic way. And that's where we are. And I got to interject here, by the way, um, just important to point out as far as Schumer. Schumer recently gave a speech last week in the Senate uh, about anti-Semitism. And he's like, well, you know, um, I'm the highest elected guy who's Jewish and, and I feel a need to speak out. And I'm thinking USOB. I mean, not only does Schumer support Blinken and the Biden administration's jihad against Israel and he refuses to speak out against it, but this guy is responsible for the everything you're seeing in the streets. That is Chuck Schumer because that is the 1990 bill. So basically, it was this after the 65 bill catalyzed the whole kind of Latin American, Mexican, you know, immigration, having them monopolize, you know, not just okay, a few here or there, but monopolize the system. It was really after the 1990 bill that we started to see masses, because that was the diversity visa lottery, masses of um Islamic immigration. So basically what happened was you go back before 1990, we didn't have a lot of Muslim immigration. So Chuck Schumer, so was, so on the one hand, we didn't yet have, we never had Middle East migration at that point. We no longer had a lot of European immigration. We did, you know, years before, but then we didn't. We had a lot of like Latin American and in some areas in Asia. So what, so Schumer deviously said, came up with the diversity visa lottery, and, and that was designed to have, you know, 50, 60,000 visas a year given to those from countries that we haven't had a lot of immigration from. So he, he smartly told the public, oh, it will be from Poland, Italy, Ireland. But in fact, what wound up happening is it was from places like Egypt, Turkey, Iran, and then more recently, Uzbekistan and Bangladesh. And, and we've talked a lot about the Uzbekis, big, big problems there. And then now we just have, it's fed on itself. And now once you, you seed it with the diversity visa lottery, and then it goes into chain migration, and boom. Literally, as Schumer himself talked about. So Schumer needs to look in the damn mirror, and he will be held accountable in that Ovidaya prophecy. You know, he could say his, his parents and grandparents came from Jews. That's fine, but... You know, that doesn't absolve you just because you, you come from Jews doesn't mean you could act like a, a, a subversive force towards anyone, including Jews. But but that that's the sad irony. He destroyed America. And the first victims of that in the most evident and extreme physical way will be Jews, uh, thanks to Schmuck Schumer. So anyway, here we are. With this new census report, 49.5 million immigrants, and and uh, it has increased 4.5 million just since Biden took office, and it's greater than ever before. Now, nobody ever voted for this. Representative Patsy Mink, 
she was one of the leaders. She was an, a Minnesota Democrat and one of the leaders of Heart Cell. Uh, yeah, yeah, she was. I was forgetting the time p- period. It was during 65, the floor debate on Heart Cellar. She estimated that an average less than 200,000 immigrants would be admitted per year, predicted that 82% would come from Europe. In fact, we've brought in over a million legally every year, aside from all the illegals. Again, I'm not even getting into the social transformation of the illegals. And 90% of them have come from outside of Europe with an increasing number from Islamic countries. So what I wanted to explain to you today is, you know, a lot of people might say, all right, well, Daniel, it's it's 15, it's a lot, but, you know, it's, it's just a little bit more. We just surpassed the Great Wave. There were periods of time we had over 14% foreign national share during the Great Wave. But there are a bunch of fundamental differences between now and the Great Wave that's important to recognize every time you hear people debate this issue. Number one, in no particular order, I'm just going to go through these. Number one, during the 1800s, we were still a developing and growing country initially filling up. It's a big landmass, and, you know... We were just uh, filling up. We weren't a mature country. You know, still developing a character. Still filling up. And it's like any new country, right? Any any new country. Um, you're obviously going to have a relative large percentage of immigrants, right? But remember, we only had 50 million people in the country. When the Great Wave began, I believe about 50 million. That's less than one-sixth of today's population. So, okay, like, in just in raw numbers, you're, you're not filling up. So, okay, so, so it's important to realize that we have now surpassed that as a mature, fully developed country. We're, we're full. I'm not saying there's no places you could settle and whatever, but, you know, we're a full country. We've been for quite some time. And we're still... Letting in more, no other nation in the history of the universe has ever done this to itself. That after you're an established nation, every nation has an establishment developing period. But when you're a mature nation, for decade after decade after decade beyond that, to let in just just endless amounts like we're talking about. You know, a million, you know, it's rough. Let me just split it roughly rounding a million LPRs, a million foreign students, and a million foreign workers who just don't do that. So that's not immigration. That's demographic transformation and replacement, and it's done by design. So that's that's fact number one, just, just the time period matters. Fact number two, aside from the percentage of immigrants, raw numbers do matter. Right, because those are people you have to assimilate. So, obviously, we've just surpassed the Great Wave in terms of uh, percentage. But in terms of numbers, so what I did was I took a 29-year period. I wanted to compare over years. So, the 29-year period from 1896 to 1924, the shutoff. Okay, that was the greatest kind of period I took the the highest concentration. We um brought we we gave out 17.9 million green cards during that 29 year, year period. 
if you take a comparable period from 1989 to 2017. So I'm not even talking about you know Biden's new turbocharged era where we've you know not just illegal but legal he's he's gone up on too. So 17.9 to 29.7. Okay, so the raw numbers are a lot more. Now that that that's number two. Number three, because life expectancy was shorter, among several other factors too. The great wave of immigration didn't result in nearly as many naturalizations. Um, you know that would become part of the voting population. You know, ironically, a lot of people died before they were able to naturalize. So here we're converting it into naturalizations. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I've crunched them in years past. The naturalization wave. So, you know, when we count the numbers, we count the green cards. But the naturalization wave is even much greater relative to the naturalization wave of the turn of the century, 20th century. Um, you know, another thing. Obviously, back then, you were cut off in terms of transportation and communication, you know, you kind of, you're done, you're here, you're isolated, you have your new land. Now you have, I mean, everyone has their satellite TV. Um, you know, it's a known thing, and I've talked about this before, that uh, Michigan is full of Shiite Muslims, and they all watch Al Manor TV. That's the, you know, Hezbollah channel out of, out of Lebanon. They all watch it, sitting in the comfort of their homes in Dearborn or your you know surrounding areas in Michigan. So, you know, you don't you have that, you have the internet where we saw the cyber jihad where, you know, they just all get inspired by it. We saw that with ISIS. So, um, you know, and and, and it's true on another level with other th- other cultures too. It might not be as insidious and harmful as jihad. I'm not comparing it, but nonetheless, there is radically different and it's not like they internalized American values. They might not kill us like the Muslim immigrants do. Um, and I don't want to throw them in the same pile. But, you know, depending on what part of the world we're talking about, you, you just don't get a lot of Americanization. I mean, it's just, you're just not. It's it's natural, right? It, the the it, It's not even from the immigrants' end. It's just naturally from communication, transportation, internet, everything. You're just going to have more ties to the, to, to, to your country of origin, your culture of origin. So, you know, that's the story with that. Obviously, the culture of America was very different. The culture of America was very different. They would go and, uh, you know, you came here and immediately they they would say, you're, you're going to become an American. And it was a big pressure to do that. It was taboo not to. Here, Americanization itself is taboo. And again, partly it's not the immigrants' fault. Uh, most Americans themselves have been rotted out. They don't know what it means to be an American, so there you go. But nonetheless, the worst thing you can do when you're having a crumbling native population in terms of values and patriotism is to just carte blanche bring in that many people from such radically different cultures that quickly. I mean, that's it's, kind of common sense. I mean, again, these, the, what I'm saying now is they, they used to be universal values, left and right. Everyone understood this. It's obvious. You would debate within the margins of how much, but, I mean, this is way over the line. 
So now we have English learner programs, ELL programs, and you know we talked about this, the percentage of ELL students per public school district, sometimes 40% in some areas, but at least 20, 30 in a lot of areas. I mean, you didn't have any of these programs. The kids immediately spoke English, and that was it. Obviously, on the public charge side, this is not so much on the assimilation, but I think it does have a little bit to do with it. But the public charge side, um, you didn't have the welfare state. That, that That's another huge part, you know, difference that you can't compare to the Great Wave. So th- th- there's a number of these factors that we're discussing here, a number of these factors. And you, you, you didn't mollycoddle immigrants. They just weren't mollycoddled. They, they, by definition, it was sink or swim on, on, on their own. So you had, I mean, that's how you, you had people kiss the ground of Ellis Island. You don't see that anymore. I mean, you're not seeing that. I mean, just, just, just watch all of these very large demonstrations in support of Hamas. You know, it's not just about Jews. None of them love America or Christians or anything or anything about America. Right there's no there's no guy that's like uh, intifada from the river to the sea I hate the Jews but man I love me some America no and 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 for good reason and then of course there's the final factor which is the most forgotten one is that after all that so the the immigration was different qualitatively again you know ninety percent was from Europe here only. Eight percent is from Europe. You know, remember they they were, um, you know, largely from relatively similar cultures. Okay, so you know, before then it was, you know, mainly, yeah. You know, look, the Great Wave was different than the prior waves in the eighteen fifties or the eighteen, um, you know, the Irish around eighteen thirty. But so you know, it was a Western Europe Protestants. It was a lot of Central and Eastern European Catholics and Jews. But again, we're not talking about you know Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, you know, Bhutan and Sub-Saharan Africa and and and, and, and you know the Latin American migration. Again, you could have some of it, but but it's that large amount that quickly that that that's divergent when we're already a mature country with a welfare state, with a molly coddling, you know, anti-assimilation, anti-Americanization. Uh, NGOs and and just you know legal system in general, you get what you get. But nonetheless, even after that wave, we did have a shutoff. Now I understand that you know the shutoff gets a lot of, a bad rap. It gets a bad rap. But the reality is, see, you know at its peak we we reach fourteen percent immigrant, fourteen percent of the population immigrant. But because we did have a shutoff, it allowed the absorption that by 1970, we were down to just 4.9% foreign, um, foreign-born. That was the nadir. That was the low point because the heart seller didn't yet kick in. It just started after that, and it went up, 1980, 1990, and then boom, you know, we've uh, tripled the share since 1990 now. And... This is where we are. This is where we are. We had a shutoff. And it, it largely worked. The 
Pax Americana, the, the America that we kind of love, the World War II America, was, was born out of that sort of that sort of mix. You know, I, I, I write in my book, Stolen Sovereignty, Hitler made fun out of America. He's like, you're a bunch of mixed race whatevers. You guys can't, don't have enough cohesion to win a war. And he was wrong. He was wrong. 19, by, by, by the time the 1940s came around, it, you know, we had the shutoff. It was, you know, we had uh, Italian Catholic, um, Scots-Irish Protestant, Eastern European, you know, Polish-German Jew come in fighting at, at D-Day and, and you had that sense of common cause. We do not have that today. We do not have that today. And, and, and that's because it went on and on and on and on. 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and it accelerated each time in terms of the numbers and the divergent nature of the sorts of people. Okay, then first the Latin Americans, and then like these kind of weird other places, and then and then you know now the 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 last few decades the the Muslims, and that's what we've been doing. So remember, in the early '90s, Harry Reid warned. Harry Reid wanted to shut off. He warned that he had never seen anything like this in our history. And he introduced the bill to restore immigration to its t- traditional and more manageable level of 300,000 annually. That's a quote from his speech introducing the Harry Reid 1993 immigration bill. Even Harry Reid, who went on to become the Senate Majority Leader, recognized that. that that's how far – see, they, they want to say we're a bunch of right-wingers, alt-right. The reality is it, it, it's a function of how the left has moved over. Fast forward – 30 years since Harry Reid, and we've admitted roughly 30 million more legal immigrants. And, you know, I've seen projections that by 2065, 88% of our population growth, 88% of our entire population growth will be from immigrants. See, that 15% share doesn't, even do justice because all the kids are going to be from that. You know, again, some of that's a mixture of the natives not having kids, but you put it together and it's a disaster. During the Great Wave, although immigration spiked between 1880 and 1920, the shutoff created a dynamic in which the foreign-born population went down so that by 1970, 90 years after the beginning of the Great Wave, the immigration population had only increased 44% in raw numbers over the same period of time. The native-born population increased by 306%. Okay, remember those numbers. Now let's compare this wave. Okay? And the wave has not crested. This is if we had a shutoff now, but we don't. At current levels, the total immigrant population will reach 58.9 million by the end of 2028, 17.3% of the total population. And by the way, if you look at Stephen Camerata's report, so the highest rates of welfare usage are now from the countries of origin most associated with illegal immigration. So Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. He, he actually has census data. You could see the highest welfare use by country of origin. 
And then, you know, you look at his latest report. So he talks about percentage increase in immigration since Biden took office. That's one of the benchmarks he tries to bring out. Stephen Kemmerat along with uh, Karen Ziegler. And what's the greatest increase in immigration? The lowest increase is, you guessed it, from Europe by design. But the greatest increase is places the Middle East up 14% <laughs> since just 2021. Sub-Saharan migration is up a whopping 21%. A lot of that does include countries like Senegal, where they're also coming from the border, which is very Islamic in nature. Not all of them are, but, but, but a lot of them are. Nobody ever voted for this. Nobody voted for this balkanization, but it's upon us. And, you know, you see it in, I, I, this is like Stephen Camerata Day. I'm just going through all of his research. He does a great job. I went back to a report he had from a couple of years ago on English language. And, and again, this is how I believe another way that I've, I've probably given you about 10 different factors uh, differentiating this wave between the great wave, the 15% foreign-born share now, and the 14.8% at the peak of the great wave around the turn of the century, why it's not the same. Now, I don't have data from them on English language, but I would guarantee you it's, it's not this bad, is that they found out, where is this? He and, and I actually I think he has a newer report, but I'm working off of his 2018 report. As of 2018, 67.3 million residents speak a foreign language in their home. So, you know, we're talking about 49.5 million immigrants. But remember, I told you this is a lot more telling in terms of a measure of constantly reinforcing itself. So, so they might have recently. You know, they, they might be born here, but of recent arrivals themselves. And it, it, it goes again and again and again and again. So it reinforces. So the 49.5 million doesn't do it justice. It's 67.3 million. And by now, it's probably up to 70 who speak a, a foreign language at home. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with speaking a foreign language at home. If you're an immigrant and from an area of the world where they don't speak English, well, you know, you're going to speak a foreign language at home. Um, but a couple things. Number one, it's just a measure of how much. Okay, I mean, that, that's just insane. That you, you can't have a country like that. That's one in five people. And by the way, in seven United States, in seven states, the percentage of foreign language speakers is over 30%. And you're not going to believe me, but maybe you will. In California, I mean, this is straight up from the census, 45% of individuals living in California, speak a language other than English at home. That, I mean, that's not America by a mile. You can't have a country like that. You know, everything is good in quantities. And uh, that that's the story. But what's even more disquieting is that according to this research of the census data, this is from uh, Stephen's 2018 report, more than one-third of adults who speak a foreign language at home are U.S.-born. Uh, let me repeat that. More than one-third of that pie 
of adults who speak foreign languages at home are themselves U.S. born, 19.3 million. Because you might be wondering, well, if there's 49.5 million immigrants, back then it was, you know, it was like 45 million, by the way. So now you have to bump everything up. Well, how do you get 67.5, which now would probably be about 70 million? How do you get that number speaking a foreign language at home? Boom. They're adults who speak a foreign language at home. Freeze frame right there. Those of you like me who are products of people who immigrated during the Great Wave will understand that right there demonstrates the difference. So this means that we're not just observing a trend of new immigrants, which is just you know insane in quantities, or even native-born children who speak English uh, proficiently, but you know use another language to converse with their immigrant parents at home. Right? That's understandable. The kids would totally be you know speaking English, but at home they'll speak their parents in a foreign language. Okay. But this is a, a salad bowl dynamic where the velocity of immigration has been so intense for so long with new waves from the same parts of the world constantly reinforcing the old waves that there's no assimilation. And that's why, according to the Migration Policy Institute, a left-wing NGO, 77% of the millions of school-age children enrolled in limited English proficient programs are native-born. That's the difference. You know, you might have had a parent, a great-grandparent come over speaking Italian or Polish or Yiddish or German or whatever, Russian, but those kids all fully spoke English. Now we're having problems with the kids and then even people who are already adults that are not in an immigrant household run by a parent still speaking a foreign language. And again, a lot of that, it depends, and I've done reports on this before, it depends on what part of the world you come from. You know, um, I think people who come from India generally are going to be a lot more, you know, that you're not going to find that a second generation, but Latin America, and, 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 and part of it is because from Latin America, we just have so much, so look, I mean, you can't blame them. See, everyone wants to come to America, but, you know, then you got to learn new things. But what if I tell you, could you, you could come to America and live in your own little Mexico, little Guatemala, and do, a, do, you know, do your thing? Well, you get the best of both. You get to live in America, but keep, keep your language and culture. Well, that's what you have. It's very logical. So, you know... I mean, th this thing has not crested one bit. We're in big trouble here. We're in big trouble. This is from, where is this? The Daily Mail. UK Daily Mail. Brand new article here that I felt is very appropriate for what we're talking about today. The number of international students remaining in the U.S. after finishing their degree has risen to around 200,000 per year. Okay, remember where, where they come from, largely China and the Middle East and India. New data from the Institution of International Education and State Department Agency showed that there were more than a million international students currently in the U.S. with more than 800 enrolled in college, but 200,000 participating in optim optional uh, practical training, OPT. That is 
a program we've talked about, never created by Congress, completely executive branch to just allow them to stay here. And then um, employers are incentivized to pay them because to hire them because they don't have to pay them payroll taxes. It's unbelievable. So um, we're literally allowing China to be educated here, uh, go back there, stay here, send back stuff there. And, uh, you know, welcome, welcome to America. And again, largely China, India, and Middle Eastern countries. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the foreign students from the Middle East um, chanting genocidal slogans in colleges. But a good number of them wind up staying from this illegal program that allows them to then work in the U.S., and gives employers a it, I mean it's unbelievable. Imagine the government saying, I'm gonna give you, you know, a seven percent b- uh, bonus incentive to hire a foreign student than an American graduating from the same institution. The OPT program is literally made up. It was made up whole cloth, I believe, during the Bush administration. And uh yeah, that's the story. It's not America. It's not America. So, what do you do with this? I don't know. But this is why, to me, one of the biggest agenda items we need, like top three, is to have red states be able to take over immigration and make decisions on it. And that's the thing. As you well notice, when you talk about percentage averages, right, 15% overall. So in some of the, like, California, it's way one way. California, New York, Texas, by the way, too. But there are some red states that still aren't yet fully colonized, and it's less. And, you know, you could still live out some sort of modicum of, of what America was. Numbers do matter. This is utterly insane. It would be insane if tomorrow we had zero immigration. We shut it off. It would be insane. We've crossed the Rubicon a long time ago. You can't have a country like that. It has nothing to do with uh, you know, all these other things that they want to make it about. Oh, your race and this. You love, oh, it's not nice. This is not nice to anyone. You're not giving anyone that American experience. And uh, everyone understands that. Anyone who tries to compare this to prior waves of immigration is uh, is, is doing a disservice, and they know they're wrong. Um, all right, so we spent about 50 minutes on that. I don't have much time here. I just I do want to say there's this other big story out there um, that you might have seen about this New Zealand guy who was arrested in New Zealand for releasing data. He was like a system, computer system management guy for the Department of Health in New Zealand, released data, and Steve Kirsch got a hold of it and analyzed that an extrapolation based on that would show an 11 million people dying um, you know, from the COVID vaccines. Now, we've already shown a report that shows 17 million. It shows even more than that. Now, there's a big debate. Uh, is the data set complete enough to make that extrapolation? And on our side, there's a lot of the data nerds are, are disagreeing over that. So, you know, whether you can use it. But clearly, I think what everyone agrees is this guy, Barry, who released it, is sincere. He saw it alarming. Because the thing about this, every other extrapolation we did was 
macro data. You know, you you would look at trends of vaccination rates and then trends of 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 excess death rates and you try to make an extrapolation. Here they have the specific micro data of individuals when they were vaccinated, when they died, so, you know, died and often suddenly at a young age. Um I think everyone agrees he was sincere in raising alarms. Everyone agrees it's a signal. It's how you use it, to, you know, how much you can use it to create a specific number. I'm not interested in that. The point is, this was a whistleblower, and he was swiftly arrested. So we all know, again, I don't need this guy's data because the Rancourt study from Canada actually shows even, it shows one in 800, which I think is very reasonable. This is one in 1,000. It just... The reason why it was a bigger deal is because it's micro data, which we didn't have until now. So I was just going to say, I mean, we all know the truth behind it. Now, you got to be careful when you use data that, you know, even if you believe it's true. And but if you say it's coming from this, it's got to be accurate. And I, I just have not spent the time. To me, there's no value add in trying to get to the bottom of, of, of that. The, there's a lot of people that like fighting with each other on the same political side of this over you know who you know whose data is accurate and whatever I'm, I'm not i don't care about that what we need is to move this to the political legal level of actually getting these shots off the schedule getting bills of rights you know medical freedom bill of rights into the state legislatures holding more hearings in state legislatures this session and then of course we need um the the ultimate thing is we need to abolish the child vaccination schedule, um, or, or to the extent we, you know, we don't control the feds doing it, have states refuse to recognize it and refuse to participate in it. That's ultimately where we need to drive that. But uh, yeah, I mean, they kill us, they replace us, <laughs> so k- k- kill the population. By the way, not just native. I mean, everyone they're killing. They made it a requirement for immigration too. But um, it's all about replacing us. They don't like us very much, in case you haven't noticed it. And by the way, speaking of replacing, just, you know, we talked last week uh, about Derek Chauvin being stabbed to death. There's news on that. It turns out there's this guy who they caught the guy who stabbed him 22 times, allegedly, uh, Why? while Derek Chauvin was, of course, in the law library, as he would be, you know, studying the law. And he was stabbed 22 times. Now, this is Jeffrey Epstein 2.0 because this is what's being reported open source. The guy was on year 27 of a 30-year sentence. Okay, so imagine you, you serve 27 years, you're almost out, and you just go and stab someone. Oh, and he was a longtime FBI informant for Latin American gangs. Long-time FBI informant, year 27 of, of a 30-year sentence, goes and tries to kill, and almost did, kill Derek Chauvin. All right, I, I mean, this is a Jeffrey Epstein level. I don't think it's some random guy just decided one day, um, you know, I'm really upset about George Floyd and I'm going to go and kill him. I think... There is something else going on here, you know, particularly because because, again, this happened days after the, you know, Liz Collin. We had Liz Collin on the show last week. Her documentary, The Fall of Minneapolis, uh, came out. 
the truth of of Derek Chauvin and George Floyd is on par with the truth about the vaccines, which is on par with the truth about January 6th. And all of this just leads to the fact that, you know, we are screwed on so many issues. You know, we, we spent so many years letting in third world immigration. We now have a third world government, just banana republic. But it all leads to the same point. We need strategic leadership. What do we do about it? So tomorrow we'll get more into the politics of the matter. But I wanted this to be a little bit of an evergreen show for those of you who have friends that are interested in this issue or are like, oh, I'm pro-immigrant. You know, numbers, time, amounts, it all matters. And, and, and in general, this is why you can't speak about abstract policy. By the way, one of the most brilliant pieces ever written, if you want to just supplement this show with uh, the great Thomas Sowell, Thomas Sowell, just Google Thomas Sowell, the abstract immigrant. And he talks about this thing, like immigration is great in the abstract, but you know, the specificity of the details matter. And that's true of every policy. Um, unfortunately, we don't have people who could articulate specificity of policy. Oh, whoops. We actually do have one guy, the Florida man. But, you know, again, let's not talk about that because I want to sell my audience on this false dichotomy that all you have is uh, either giving into the left or fake owning the left in your own imagination, but not actually doing something about it while they continue to run up the score on immigration, legal, illegal, debt, control, destroying our products and services, our cost of living, our quality of life, our demographics, our culture, and we get to make money. But those of you who listen here, you're looking for something more, something more robust, and I appreciate that. And that's why I want to give you something smart and informative every day. And that's why I need you guys to do me a favor. Give me a five-star rating on iTunes at you know, CR Podcast. Uh, it helps if you just leave a comment there. It grows the algorithm because we have to compete against the empty calories. And uh, unfortunately, we have to first win our own playoff, our own bracket, to even get control of the messaging on the right to be, you know, savvy enough and effective enough before we could even beat the left. So that's a whole nother story, but we're just getting started. Uh, we're going to try to pack in a lot the next two weeks. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns uh, for what we talked about today or last week. Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Until tomorrow, God bless y'all. Thank you for listening. And never forget Ovadiah 110.